Welcome to the Do More Podcast, where we share strategies and tips for improving your life in every aspect. Here's your host, John Farling. All right, welcome back, everybody. Today I have a uh, a new friend of mine, uh, Michael Ketchen, and uh, just met him, what, probably three, uh, yeah, I guess two, three months ago. Three months ago. And yeah. a new mastermind that we both just joined. Uh, it's a new mastermind completely. And uh, right now it's a smaller group, but we uh, we kind of hung out a little bit uh, at the ma- at the event last event, our first event in Vegas. Kind of hit off a little bit, and uh, wanted to have him on the show. I figured his his story sounds interesting, and really, I don't know too much about your story, but want to learn more. So, uh, Michael, why don't you uh, kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, the mastermind's been great. Let's me hang out with uh, super successful real estate guys like John. So it's been it's been <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, my name is Michael Ketchen, uh, one of the owners and founders of Commonwealth Collective LLC. I own that along with our business partner Matt and uh, my wife Hannah. So there's three of us, and um, been at this now. Started in 2016, bought our first deal in 2017, and been rolling. Um, I've scaled up to about 500 doors of multifamily, a handful of luxury Airbnbs. That's kind of what we focus on. You know, before that was a teacher, um, ran a school, a very tough urban school in Massachusetts, loved the kids. Don't miss anything else about education. Don't miss the politics. Don't miss the bullshit. Don't miss anything else that goes with it, you know? Um, but it's been amazing to see how much those skills have translated to what we do here in real estate. As you know, being an entrepreneur and a real estate investor is just one big problem solving solution. So that's what we do a little bit here, John. I hope that helps a little bit. No, that's awesome. So, okay, we got back up. 2016, you just started. And what's funny is, so our last uh, our last group call that we had for our mastermind, um, we, we started with wins, right? Yeah. And I just closed on two small storage facilities. Like for me, they're my two small storage facilities. And I was going to say something like, hey, I just closed on two, two small deals. <laughs> and you chime in, you're like, yeah, I just closed on uh, $20 million worth of real estate in the past <laughs> 90 days. So I'm like, all right. I unclick. I'm like, I'm not, I don't have any wins. So, okay. We know you got a decent size, uh, a good size um, uh, real estate portfolio. You were a teacher. How did you transition? What happened there? Something had to hit you where you're like, I'm done teaching. I got to get out of this. Yeah, I was 33 and they thought I had a heart attack. So yeah, that'll that'll do it. Um, I had a very stressful job. I was the dean of students. Um, for a very tough, you know, you know, school. If you, if you look it up, it's Lawrence, Massachusetts, great kids. I mean, honestly, there's, there's negative stigmas, but the kids for the most part are okay. But the area, the, the socioeconomic things were tough. And, um, I, I knew I wanted something else. We had really, we had successfully completed our mission. Excuse me for a second. We had turned around the school that I worked at, but they were going forward with a bigger plan where they were redesigning the whole school district. So I kind of felt like, all right, we had hit our mission. Do I really want to be part of this? I was kind of on to the next challenge. Meanwhile, my wife was commuting. Um, we live in Southern New Hampshire. She was commuting to MIT, which most people know that college in Boston every day to work. And that was, you know, hour in the morning, hour at home each night. Mm-hmm. And I was running around and I started to have some chest pains and they took me in. It turns out my cardiologist said it wasn't the, the specialist went to said it was. So I, I still don't know if I did or didn't, but the long story is my father passed at 46 years old. Right. Oh, wow. So 33 at the time, I'm going, oh my God, maybe this is closer than what I think. I don't want to wait to live life on my terms. What can I do? And at the same time, I tell the story because ironically, we're in a mastermind with him today, Brandon Turner. And I, I tell Brandon, you know, it changed my life, changed a lot of people's lives indirectly. Okay. Because I was like, oh, maybe we'll like flip a house. Like we've got to do something that makes money. But I didn't have any financial literacy. I didn't have 
anything. I just knew I wanted to do something else. So we said, hey, we'll flip a house. And Matt, our business partner at the time, um, he's my brother's best friend. He's a couple years younger than us. He had always said we'd be interested in real estate. We talked about it down the road, right? Well, I said, hey, Matt, we might do this thing. What do you think? He goes, great. So I'll never forget. I'm at home. I'm listening to a podcast. I Google, how do you flip a house? And this podcast named Bigger Pockets comes up. And I don't know if it was fade or what it was. It happened to be episode 200. And I always tell this story because episode 200, luckily for me, happened to be this recap of every step on how to do your first deal. It's crazy. Dude, I had no idea what the hell any of these terms meant. But I remember thinking, and shout out to Brandon, don't don't judge me, but I remember thinking like, these guys don't sound that smart. (laughs) And if they can do this, how hard can it be? And that's kind of my superpower is I'm obsessed with problem solving. And we went out, you know, we started looking at it. We walked tons of houses trying to flip a house. And we finally found one in uh, this little town called Kenny Bunkport, Maine, which we still own to today. Little did I know how, how much this house would impact my life. But I went to college with a girl who lived in Kenny Bunk. So I didn't even know what Kenny Bunkport, Maine was. Dude, me, Matt, and Hannah are in the car in the middle of a snowstorm, driving up to see this building we find on Craigslist of all places. Um, just wild story. We end up buying it. There's like mold everywhere. There's devil like hexagons like on the floor, but the bones look good. I didn't even know what the hell that meant at the time. And we think we're going to flip this house, right? We're trying to figure out money. We're trying to do all these things. Well, then bigger pockets again, I'm continuing to listen. I'm trying to get educated. And they use this term called the burr. Little did I know how much that would change my life. Um, the burr method, I will argue with anybody until I'm blue in the face is the greatest way to build wealth for any starting entrepreneur, any small time investor, in my opinion, we built our entire business model on it. Um, and we did it. We did it in four months. That first deal, we bought it for 300,000. We put in 180. And at the time it then appraised, it's gone up a lot, like everything has, but at the time in four months later, it appraised for 782,000. And we found a bank to do a cash out refi in four months. And we kept that as an Airbnb and we walked out of there with a check for like a hundred and I think it was like 182,000. And I had never seen that much money in my life. And I looked at Matt and Hannah and I was like, I don't know much, but I know going forward, this is all we're doing. And so you were teaching at that point. Too, oh, so right? Yeah. We were going up there every weekend. We were working the job. We were trying to figure it out. And fast forward, we started buying buildings and a year and a half later, I was like, I'm leaving the job. We're doing this full time. And then we said, Hannah will go next. And then Matt, and again, it just kind of rolled and here we are. It's wild, man. It's wild how, and I told Brandon this too, and I, I had to have a disclaimer. I'm like, listen, I know you hear this a lot, but you truly <laughs> have no idea how much, and even like, and it's probably part reason why, probably big reason why I do a podcast, because I know how much Bigger Pockets podcast helped me. And I actually started listening, I think 2013. Um, but yeah, like same thing, like it's amazing what you can learn just from a podcast and from like Brandon and anyone else doing a podcast, you don't, you don't get any feedback, right? Like you mm-hmm. and I are just talking to each other right now. Actually, I'm looking at my camera, so I'm barely even looking at, not really <laughs> looking at you, but it's wild. Like someone, this will, your conversation without a doubt will change at least one person's life. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's amazing how powerful podcasts are. But anyways, back to your story, you're an, you're an action taker. Oh, and I noticed that right away in the room um, in Vegas that you just take action. Were you, obviously you're a teacher before, did you notice that? Well, one, do you notice that about yourself now? And 
was that a new trait for you when you started getting in the real estate? <laughs> it was it wasn't a new trait. I I have grown more aware of myself because you know I, that's kind of fascinating you say that because you know I, I I'm coaching again on the side, which my version of coaching is really just teaching because I love it because I can't leave it alone. And my wife was like, you got to charge for it. And I was like, well, no one's going to pay me. But then I've actually been surprised how well that's gone. But what oh. it does is it lets me get an option. It lets me get an opportunity to teach because back to your point before, I don't, I don't know. Like, like someone said to me in the last month, I've had three different people tell me ironically, which is just a weird thing. They said, I've never met a person who moves with as much urgency as you move. Mm. And I found that interesting because even like you just said in Vegas, like I wouldn't have thought I made that impression, right? I just am the way I am. I don't know. That's just how my brain works. And what I've learned as we get more into the entrepreneurial space is we're not really cognizant of our strengths and our skills, right? Mm. Like I came out of that, that first meetup being like, wow, all these guys are so far ahead of me. All these guys have all these skills. My buddy John's got 3000 storage units and he's doing all this stuff. And I'm thinking, man, like I got to hang out with this guy. This guy's great. He's doing all these things. I don't think of myself in that light, right? But what I realized early on is we have the saying, um, you know, I, I ever write a book, I said this would be the title. We, we call it fuck up forward, right? And what I mean by that is everyone's so, you know, they, they're waiting for it to be perfect and nothing's ever going to be perfect. Nope. We just go forward knowing that we'll be comfortable being uncomfortable and figuring it out. Yep. And the reason I say that about myself is I realized I was never a good traditional student, which is ironic. I ended up in education, but the role I thrived in education wasn't classroom instruction. It was really when I became a dean that I could relate to the kids because I understood there's different ways to do it. And what I realized in my role in education, like one thing I was given, for example, we had to increase the attendance. In this school, attendance had never been over 85% for a school. We got it up to 92%. Hmm. And there was no budget. There was nothing. It was just basically, here's a problem and solve it. And I thrived. I loved it. Now, my my mentor and my boss at the time saw that in me when I was young and didn't see it in myself yet. I just knew I liked it. It's been interesting how much that's translated to real estate investing, where all we're really trying to do, whether it's value add, whether it's stabilize, whether it's you know raise capital, whatever it might be, we're really just solving problems. Yep. So, you know, I don't even think I work now. I don't think I work that hard now. I don't think I take action. I think I just get to play a game. Yep. And they call it work and it pays well, you know, yep. and that's kind of how I look at it. So I think I've always been wired that way. And I think luckily I found something where it appears to translate, you know, very well. Yeah. You you brought a lot of good points there. I, I Yeah. I think problem solving is, I don't know what number attribute of entrepreneurs, but it's high up there, right? Most entrepreneurs, they love problem solving in some way. Um, and yeah, a lot of like most people, well, most people in general, but entrepreneurs, we don't really know what we're good at. Um, yeah. I think going to masterminds and stuff, it helps us self-reflect and kind of learn a bit, a little bit about ourselves. And you said something about how you're looking around the room, like, oh my goodness, like I'm small, I'm a small fish in this pond and blah, blah, blah. And it's funny. Cause I guarantee if you ask everybody in that room, if they're honest, they'd say the exact same thing. Right. Yeah. Um, we all think that no matter where we're at, uh, it's, we're all thinking like everyone's ahead of us. Um, no, that's awesome. So we'll go, we'll go back to your story. I, I do have some questions I wrote down here that I got a bunch of questions. Um, <laughs> so you've got, you started with Airbnb. Um, that was in 2016. How did you scale from there? Oh man, again, it's a, it's a wild story how life works out. So our attorney is also my mother-in-law. 
Okay. And yeah, so you know, for for hopefully you get a cheap rate then. Former, yeah, right. Former military officer turned attorney turned mother-in-law. So she's a very impressive woman. But I bring that up to realize what she did was a lot of development. She didn't really do a lot of multifamily, but she also has played an instrumental role in our life in multiple ways. But in one in particular, we were doing so. So to go step by step, it's kind of funny. I was just kind of taken off on us. A few things I've never really told the whole story, but I think now when I think about how impactful meetings are, so I'm going to start with that first deal, and it's all going to make sense. We go to Kenny Bunkport. I, I walked that building. The kid who had the listing listed, okay, turned out to be a hard money lender. We have done well over $20 million worth of business together at this time since that deal. So you meet him, crazy. right? That's number one. Now, the second deal we found that we still own, this is how crazy it is. We hired a guy. He didn't work out long-term, but for this, he was great. He was doing the tile at the job. He goes, hey, if you're looking for another property, I know the one down the street just fell out of contract. Dude, we have no idea what we're doing. You know, the money, we're, we're trying to figure it out, right? Nope. But we go, we make an offer. We get it for 185000 That house last year appraised for $1.2 million. Wow. This is all in 2017. This isn't that long ago, right? So that worked out. At the same time, that hard money lender calls me and goes, hey, I really liked working with you. I've got this flip up in Maine, some other part of Maine, again, wild. Like we built the company on this, this tagline called GSD, get shit done. Yep. This is where GSD was born. I got to tell a quick story of my business partner because it's going to make sense to the whole mantra. So now in between the two Airbnbs, there's this little flip up in Maine. Beautiful turnkey newer home. But what had happened in 2013, 2014, the people moved away. This is when the economy still wasn't necessarily doing great. It was doing better. It wasn't doing great. Pipes burst in the basement had been sitting there. So the entire basement was flooded mm-hmm. out with mold. I'm talking like up to the middle of like your thighs mold. So he goes, if you can flip it, he goes, the the upstairs house is actually fine, but the basement is incredibly mold. So we call surf pro. They quote $40,000 for the mold remediation. Hmm. At the time I'm like, I, you know, what are we going to do? That's so much money. Matt, the full-time savage that he is back to the GSD mindset goes online and realizes to be a mold remediation check like surf pro, it's simply just a test and an online certification. Hmm. Unbeknownst to me and Hannah, he takes the test, pays the money, gets certified for 300 bucks. We <laughs> drive up there, hire my family who lives in the area. We do the mold remediation ourselves over a weekend, all in cost $2,000. We flip the house and make like 75 grand. That's wild. So like, this is all the first six months of being a real estate investor while working full-time jobs. And, and, and you admitted that, you know, listening to the, the, the bigger pockets podcast that you really didn't understand real estate. You just oh, look at no step by step by step and things align. It's amazing how things align when they're supposed to. And it, it just works out. And that very first deal, the first contractor we hired, we hired him knowing there was red flags. This is back to the mindset that people have to understand about not waiting to be perfect, taking action and then figuring it out. We got all these bids to do the house. And the, the number one professional company that was the best, they were like 210. We're like, man, we don't know if the number, we, I'm running numbers. I don't know what numbers are at this point. But I, I kind of understood you want to be around that 70% ARV. And what scared me, the lender we were initially going to use is ARV was 540. So I'm basing everything off that 540 number. Obviously, mm-hmm. we blew it out of the water. That's fine. But in my head, that's there. I bring this up because we got a bid from a local contractor that friends knew. And they said, listen, he's a head case, but he's cheap. Well, we did about everything wrong we could imagine. But we used him because his quote, oh my God, one guy was 200,000 to do everything. This guy was 38,000. So you might imagine how this ends, right? So this is our first deal. We're doing the deal. 
and uh, we put our HELOC into it. We took out SoFi personal loans. Mass Parents lent us 50 grand, which there's a story there as well. We did whatever we could to figure it out. Um, so we get a call. They're just through the demo. And I get a call from the York, Maine Police Department. The guy was shooting guns in the woods and there's a school behind the house. He got arrested. So we had to fire him through the demo. I'm going, oh, my God, I don't know what we're going to do. Back to GSD. We hire my stepfather, some family friends. They worked seven days a week for seven straight weeks to be done. Wow. This is at the time. No one knows really what Airbnb is yet. We just know we're going to Airbnb it. Back to that mindset of why you have to bet on yourself. So I'm big on. At the beginning of the project, we go, hey, we'll be smart. Let's bring in one of the top property managers to get their opinion on what we can get for this house. She comes and walks it. And I'll never forget. Oh, I, I, I always wish I could remember this lady's name because I love to look her up. She uh, she walks and she goes, you know, you guys will be lucky to get $400 a night. I said, $400 a night. Okay. I'm happy to report that that house gets upwards of $2,000 a night now. It's crazy. And the story there is get someone's opinion. But ultimately, you got to be the decision maker. You got to trust but verify. And I tell this story because when I look back on all the things and where we are now, what we've built the company on, all these little events led to us being here. So back to your question about the, the, the first multifamily. We're now done the three deals, and I can still picture it clear as day. It's a beautiful fall, New England day. My mother-in-law, the attorney, walks over and she says, hey, do you guys think you're ready for an apartment building? I said, sure. How the hell hard can it be? Yeah. No idea what being a landlord is, but I said, how hard can it be? She had a client who've since gone on to become a business partner. We own a big building together. He was trying to sell this 13-unit building and no idea what he was doing. He was a house builder. It kept falling out of contract, so we go and buy it. Something very important happens here, John. I'm standing in the unit. The studio, it's a studio apartment, maybe 300 square feet. I'm picturing like I'm going to live there. I've never rented an apartment. I'm thinking, oh, my God, maybe 700 bucks, 800 bucks in rent. I have no idea. Back to Matt. And that's why partners are so important. Matt said, seven, 800 bucks. I've got ads out for $1,000 a month right now. My jaw almost hit the floor. <laughs> and I realized in that moment, it is another pivotal moment. It is not your job to play Mr. Market. It is your job to react to the market. Mm. So our entire business model started to be formed. I realized I'm good at finding the money. I'm good at finding the deals. I'm good at talking to the banks. Matt handles all the tenants, all the resident stuff. Hannah handles all the business operations. Fast forward, you know, we're well over a $50 million portfolio at this time. And these three silos have continued back to the ethos, back to the beginning when all these little pivotal moments were unfolding. And that's what we've done. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. And it's funny to be able to look back and say, okay, all these these screw-ups that we had, all these hurdles that we had, at the time, they're horrible to go through, right? But looking back, you're like, that's why you are where you are today, right? Those were just steps. They weren't failures. They were just steps. And you just had to get past those and move to the next one and figure it out, move to the next one and figure out. Um, That's awesome, man. Okay, so you've got Airbnbs and then you're ready for your next, it sounds like your first multifamily unit. How big was that? 13 units. Okay, 13. How'd that go? Uh, really, we still own it today. I mean, is that local to you? Yeah. Say it again. Is that local to you? Yeah. Local to New Hampshire. And it's kind of funny because now we own more on that street and we're revitalizing, cleaning up that whole street. And it's been nice to go back to our baby. That's what we call it. Our baby, our first one. And now we're putting some money in and we're redoing the exterior. And it's nice to give it the real love that it needs. 
Um, because back to your point about dealing with stories, you want to talk about adversity. Uh, up until that point, we were working with one lender where everything was great. They just said yes to everything. So I'm going, this is the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> well, fast forward. Um, this is where it kind of gets really in the weeds. But to tell people how you fight through adversity, the same guys we bought that 13 unit off of, they had a 31 unit. They wanted to mm-hmm. sell us. I had no idea. I'm like, guys, I don't have that kind of money. We needed a half a million. I didn't, even know, I didn't know you could raise capital at that point. I didn't realize how under real estate worked. So no idea what it was, didn't know what a syndication was, knew none of this. And uh, we're at the closing table and that lender pulls the loan. Mm. I had just quit my job thinking this is what we're going to do. Everything's great. I just left my job. Now we're down to taking $3,000 a month trying to figure it out. These guys end up giving us some equity in that building and said, here's some equity and a management fee. You figure it out. Well, fast forward. We were able to take that building we were going to buy for $2.5 million from them. We stabilized it. We sold it last year for $5.6. Nice. And we we're getting more proof of concept. But my point that I tell everybody is we've grown despite that. But in that moment, I thought our life was over. I'm like, I'm going back to the school. I'm an idiot. Like, how are we going to do this? We, How do we figure it out? But you just do. You push through it. And the lesson there is we were saved time and time again because we executed. But more importantly, we bought good deals. Mm-hmm. And our underwriting criteria, largely, it's got more sophisticated. We understand more, but it's always come back to the very simple method of the Burr methodology. And that's why I tell people, if you get nothing else right, I don't care if you're buying a single family, if you're buying a hundred unit, if you're buying a storage facility, whatever it is, you need to understand your purchase price and your exit. And we call that the dirt and the delta. How are you doing that? How are you bridging those two? And as long as you've got that meat on the bone, you will be okay in this business. It's a very forgiving as long as you don't overpay for the asset. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Value add. Yeah. You want you want to find value add. So okay, yeah. take us back a little bit to the how did you um, explain the whole process of you fu- funding that deal? Oh, uh, so that's interesting. So our very first deal. Uh, this is this is again back to bigger pockets, which this has had a very impactful, um, uh, great great impact on our business that I think. I say people got to get off the spreadsheets and get in the streets. And this is probably the best example I can give because I didn't even understand what the guy meant and it ended up changing my life. Bigger Pockets had some guy on who was like investing in Indianapolis. That's all I remember. And he was offering people like 15, 20%. And the host got it right away. Most people don't get that. Well, I didn't realize he meant 15, 20% annual. I closed the loan, whatever. So we go to, we go to Matt's parents and we say, Hey, we'll give you 15% on the deal. Well, <laughs> We, we burned it out in four months. So then we paid them the whole 15%, which is actually at that point, 45%. Yeah. So we needed the next deal. What do you think they did? They turned around. They couldn't write us a check fast enough. Right. Well, I had an epiphany. I said, wait a minute. I go, okay. So we ended up paying them a few grand extra, yep. but we got all the equity in the deal. We get all the cash flow. We get all the upside. We get the asset. And we otherwise couldn't have bought this. We have now decided to build our entire model around that. That's why we're big on keeping equity, right? We own the equity in the majority of everything we own. We own the majority of it, 80% plus in all of our buildings. Because understanding that relationship between debt and equity, I still think it's very misunderstood by a lot of people. And people are so focused on what they're giving. They're not focused on what they're getting. And my idea is get good assets, get the cash flow, control the deal. And that's kind of how we roll it. So, that 13 unit, that lender that was saying yes to everything, they were letting us do cash out refis and portfolio loans of everything together. So we used Matt's parents to get the first one and then everything just rolled together. And that was good until it wasn't because then we had to untangle that mess when they pulled out the loan. 
And that was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. All our equities tied up. There's nothing we could do. It was, it was tough, but we figured it out. So that was, that was a bank, right? Or was yeah, that, that was, a, that was a credit union. Okay. Credit union. Okay. So how are you funding most of your deals now? Are you, it sounds so like you're raising our, money syndicating and then are our, you method, our, methodology, our methodology has been and has remained. We will raise private money from our network and put it on promissory notes or short-term loans or you, know, you might do a structure with some equity. And we're buying it primarily with private or hard money for the capital stack and ripping through the value add uh, and then refining out to a permanent debt lender. And then okay. returning that investor capital, keeping the deal. So, you know, recently, you know, that we closed the deal, for example, in, in Cleveland. Okay. Yeah. The Cleveland MSA, we raised uh, about 700 grand. We're paying a, a good rate of return on that 700 grand. We're doing our value add and then we're refinancing, paying that back and then keeping the asset. Okay. Gotcha. So you're, so if I'm asking too much, let me know. No, um, no you're but you said you closed on $20 million. Yep. Um, past what nine days, whatever. Did yep. you raise all that money? No, 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 no. We raise yeah. the down payments and then go through oh, through Got through it. principal. So if you think of the capital stack, it's the it's the um uh the senior debt up front, which is usually private or hard money. Then there's the equity that we're raising on top of that, and then we're refining and taking that all out to permanent debt. Yep, that makes sense. So that's where I go back to. I guess I guess if you want to be technical, our equity is usually mostly debt. Like we <laughs> We we bought we bought one building hundred percent debt because we have someone else who will sit in second position, and they don't want equity; they want debt long term for a higher rate of return, and they're funding our down payment. Yeah, so that's why I go back to the creative deal structure where people, you know, people don't necessarily understand the relationship between debt and equity. Yep. Because you might think, oh my God, you know, I'm I'm, I'm paying X, I'm paying Y. Well, if you looked over the horizon of the asset, right? My goal is financial freedom. My goal is an intentional lifestyle where I can do what I want when I want around the clock. And that's what we're building towards. The quickest way to get there is equity. Well, how do I get more equity? I have to be willing to pay more on my debt. Yep. That's what I understood early on. Um, and I continue to believe in it. You know, perfect example, if you're raising something and, you know, if we offered somebody, say, say that you're giving up equity long-term at like a 7% pref with a 30-70 split. And, you know, I don't know how in the weeds your, your audience gets. So if this is too technical, let me know. No, you're good. But, but the reason I've shied away from that model is I'd rather pay you a 20% return on your debt because when I perform the value add and I'm stable, I buy out your debt. I'm keeping all that equity and that upside long-term. I'm not looking to get paid once. I'm looking to build wealth that pays me over and over and over and over. And the only way to do that is to maintain control of the equity. Yep. Yep. So that's kind of how we look at it. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like... Um if you don't mind me asking, how many, do you have a bunch of private equity invest or private investors? How are you, are you going back to the same couple of people? How are you, how are you doing that? So, so we have, we have a few different ways. Um, we, we work with a variety of friends and family, a variety of people. We've also expanded outside of that. For example, we have one group that they have kind of a unique business model where they're, they're a they're a quasi hot money lender. I don't know how they describe themselves, but essentially what they've done for us based on our track record is they'll put liens on other assets we have yep. in lieu of us, in lieu of us raising the money and then they'll front the money for the acquisition. Yep. So we've gone up to $3 million with them. So if you think about it, I can go raise $3 million in, in, in equity yep. and maintain 30% of the deal, or I can pay them, you know, a high rate of return for that $3 million, but then we keep a hundred percent of the deal. Yep. 
And as long as we perform and execute, it rolls. And the only way you perform and execute is making sure that your buy box and your value adds are real value adds. You don't buy thin deals, which a lot of people are in trouble with right now because when money's cheap, you know, everything's going up and to the right. But when things are on the downside, that's where people tend to get in trouble. Yep. Yep. No, that's awesome. All awesome stuff. I like, uh, everyone's got their own way of doing it, right? Even if you're, if you're raising money, everyone's got their own way of doing it. And it's great to hear how, you know, how others are doing it. So you scaled pretty quickly, obviously. Um, sounds like Airbnb, 11 unit, what'd you say? 31 unit. Yeah. Um, we, we bought, we bought a, a three Airbnbs. We flipped a couple houses. We bought three Airbnbs, bought a 13 unit, then bought another 13 unit, bought a 31 unit, um, bought 34 more units and then bought 114 unit. And then it's just been up, 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 you know, a bunch of different asset sizes everywhere we go. Yeah. So I know you, I know you've got some out of state. How long did it take for you to, I guess, get the balls to start buying out of state? Well, everything I own was technically out of state. You know, before I even lived in New Hampshire, we were were investing there, but I think they're close to you, right? Yeah. I think, I think they weren't playing right away. Yeah. You can't drive to right away easily. Um, we've had the idea. So we have a bit of a unique model. Um, and what I mean by that is we self-manage, including our stuff all over the country. And I got to be honest, I, I think this is the way of the future. I just think we're a little ahead of the curve. Um, I think when people look at the numbers and they get away from the idea of the monsters under the bed, aren't that scary. Um, I think that I just think this is a future. And what I mean by that is, you know, real estate is easy. People are hard. And our whole idea, which is constantly evolving, but the idea is try to do everything efficiently and and repeat it, make it easily to repeat. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's funny, I recently came across this, this Japanese term that I'm actually building the entire company 2024 mission around. Uh, have you ever heard of the, the expression Kazen? No. So Kazen is awesome. I, I just I just fell in love with this. I've been down the rabbit hole the last couple of months because like the, this is in my brain. I can't believe this exists. Kazen is this Japanese business uh, term where it's essentially constant and continuous improvements. Hmm. So you never arrive. And that's what we're trying to build a company on. We never arrive. There's, there's no destination we're arriving to. We're just trying to get a little bit better every day. I bring this up to say the way we invest and the way we look at it is we use a lot of technology, for example. So our whole idea was why does it matter if the building's in New Hampshire or if the building's in Missouri? If I can set up a system where someone can manage it. In fact, I just talked to my team this week about how they're still too reliant on going to the buildings in New Hampshire. It shouldn't matter if the building's next door or the building's across the country. Use the technology to do it remotely. So I'll give you a real life example of what that looks like. Right now, we are turning 72 units in Ohio. I have a part-time boots on the ground that I deploy who checks in with videos and updates We have scopes of work, but more importantly, we then use our smart locks to give us access history reports. Mm -hmm. We use our cameras to make sure contractors are on site. And then we submit the invoices with the pictures and the proof to make sure the work is done. So it's that trust, but verify, but you're doing that remotely in New Hampshire. Why do I need to pay a person to go out to Ohio to ensure that this is done repeatedly, right? Conversely, we just had a, a leak, a huge leak in one of the buildings in New Hampshire. What did my guy do right away? He only lives 45 minutes away, but it was late at night. He logged right in. He checked the cameras. He saw the response. He saw the leak. He saw the water leak detection devices. He was able to delegate it from his laptop, which is the challenge. I always say, I want you to, I tell my team, I want you to be able to work anywhere in the world as long as you have your laptop. Let us build a company that supports that, right? 
Cool thing we do, we show our apartments remotely. And I just found out that remote is a word that I guess people misunderstand. When I say remote, a real person is going into the apartment. No one's there to meet them. I don't yeah, mean like yeah. you walk like a little, you know, Matterport. Virtual. Yeah. No, you actually go. Yeah. Everyone goes, well, what if they damage it? I said, well, you know, if you're going to commit a crime and I have all your personal information, you're, you're pretty stupid. <laughs> all right. But we use a technology where you apply for the apartment. You get an automated message with a scheduling time. You, you schedule that time. Then you get an automated code. You show up. I've got you on camera going into the unit. The code's only good for 24 hours. You then tour the apartment. We send you an automated message to follow up. And if you apply, great. You moved in. And I never had to have a single person meet you. I mean, why? What do I need a person for? Yep. You know, and that's kind of the whole idea uh, around what we do. Yep. No, that's awesome. And that's that's not too far off from how I run self-storage facilities. Um, yep. and, that, and that's newer to self-storage too, right? Uh, technology the past, call it five, six, seven years, has just transformed real estate investing in, in all areas, but you have to allow it too, right? There's still some some older, I don't want to say older, but there's some more, I guess, old school mentality. Season. Yeah, season, there you go. Uh, <laughs> old, old school mentality or seasoned investors that they don't want to change. They've been doing it for, even if they've been doing it for a decade, it's still harder for them to adapt, change and adapt, right? So um, yeah, that's awesome, man. That's absolutely awesome. So I want to talk a little bit about the market. It seems to me like, and we are in different asset classes, but it's still real estate investing, right? Yeah. Everyone I talk to, majority of people I talk to are like, ah, interest rates are just too high. I don't know. And then from <laughs> probably end of October through middle of January, they're they're consumed with the holidays, right? So they're not even looking for deals. I, this is, the to me, the best time because I have less people, less competition looking at deals. Yeah. So I'm going... I don't want to say balls of wall, but I'm definitely looking harder than I've ever looked. Uh, the past, what, 18 months, I've closed on more deals than I've ever closed on I, when everyone else is running away from, from the market. So what what's your thoughts? Obviously, you're running towards the market. What's your thoughts on all that? I have. My God, we've got a lot of angles on that. Um, one, human psychology. I think it's so funny because everybody will recite the Warren Buffett quote to the blue in the face and then they fall into the trap. You know, yeah. being greedy when others are fearful, being fearful when others are greedy. Yep. I think that's interesting. I also think people don't read history books because large in part people are lazy. These aren't high interest rates. They're historically average interest rates. Yep. I think the economy purposely got us all. We're all one big drug addict that's getting detox from cheap money. Mm-hmm. I think we're going through that right now. Uh, but the part I'll talk about that, because I, I would love feedback, and I, I think it's something I kind of talked about at the mastermind, but I really want the group's interest in it, because I want to make sure, I think it's important not to fall into echo chambers, right? Yep. But here's what I think, and and it, I've got here in a lot of different ways, but this is really what I believe. During COVID, I think they gave us the answers to the test, and I don't think anyone even realized the test we were getting. And what I mean by that is COVID, if you actually paid attention, and I don't care what anyone tells me, I will. I have the facts, I have the evidence. COVID was actually really good for any active landlord and investor. Asset prices went up and that moratorium that President Trump signed actually was good if you read it. We had lawyers reaching out to us, Commonwealth Collective, saying, how are you guys still getting evictions? We're going, what do you mean? How are we getting, are you guys not reading the moratorium? It was the first time that tenants had to sign affidavits that they were trying to get money, that they were trying to work. 
It gave teeth. It gave support to landlords. But no one, all people heard was the news clippings, can't evict people, and they stopped. Yep. Well, that's back to lazy operations. You said something else, so back to the answers to the test. Oh, interest rates are too high. This is too high. No, no, no. Show me your intentions. I'll show you your outcomes. If you were a syndication, bro, and you were getting paid off fees and you were buying thin deals, you weren't buying a value-add deal. We're not the same thing. Yep. I only buy deals where I can increase. I don't buy deals because they might go up. I buy deals because I know they can go up, yep. right? Our deal in Kansas City, I called the broker the other day because once we get stabilized, we always do two things. We list and we go for a refi. So that way, in case we have to get some options, we know both options, right? Why wait around, Okay. I'm looking at his OM and I'm laughing. I'm going to hit his, uh, this this deal was on the market for everybody, by the way. I'm going to hit his year 11 NOI pro forma projection in year one. <laughs> Think about that, right? Well, it was because they want to make us agree, disagree. I mean, the, the, the proof is in the math. They want to make us a nation of renters, yep. okay? Ken McElroy, the best multifamily investor, in my opinion, in the world, was the first guy to talk about this. And it made me dig deeper because when he says something, I listen. I noticed during COVID, they started paying government rents. Even for people who didn't need assistance, they were paying market rents. Now I'm going to all these markets and I'm buying Section 8 housing. I'm buying fair market housing. They're paying above the market rents. Hmm. I'm getting guaranteed cash flow. What does that tell you? I really believe in the next three to four years, you will start to see some kind of voucher program, John. Mm-hmm. For anybody who's making probably under a hundred grand, I think they're going to step in and subsidize rent. I don't think they're going to do rent control nationwide. I think it's too hard. Yeah. I do believe in the next 12, 24, 36 months, whatever it is, I truly do believe there's going to be some kind of national rent subsidiary that, that supports mm-hmm. rent. I really do believe that. And that's what we're buying on now, all these assets that work. And back to what you said about the rates, our buy box we stress test two points, two whole basis points above the rate of the day of close. So every deal we're buying right now in Cleveland, Kansas City, New Hampshire, we were stress testing our exit at an interest rate with an eight in front of it. It's got to work there. If it doesn't, you don't have a deal. So that's how we protect against that. I know that was a lot of technical in the weeds. No, dude, that's awesome stuff. So do you think, because I've thought about this too, do you think people get you, you talked about real estate investors living off fees, right? And and when when he says fees, there are real estate investors that'll take down deals, they'll they'll raise private money, and they're basic they're charging a percentage to the uh, the private investors or syndicators, and they're getting that that fee. So they're not really living off the the monthly cash flow. Do mm-hmm. you think investors like that um, that have fallen into that have? Because more likely, most real estate investors have probably started with value add, right? And then what happens? Do you think they get lazy? Do you think they get ahead of themselves? Do they maybe build too big of a team to where they're like, we just have to do deals to keep this team around and keep it going? What do you think? Why do you think well, that let's, happens? Let's 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 psychoanalyze it real quick, right? Humans by nature want instant gratification, right? If I'm incentivized to buy deals, to raise money, to get paid up front, and it's great. And all I have to do is buy the building, give you very relatively low returns, and then I can step back, right? Because everything was going up and to the right. Yep. I build my team. I build my social media brand. I do all these things around that, okay? And the example I keep giving everybody is, I don't know if you've noticed on your page. I've noticed it on mine. We're at 90% of these, social, the, these real estate social media gurus now. They're broke. How many guys are you hearing about we had to pause distributions? 
Yeah. What do you mean you had to pause distribute? I continue to be like, what? Yeah. But they're buying different kind of assets. They're buying things where you're spitting off a 6% yield. And a, I mean, that's cool. But this goes back to, you know, what were you building it around? So so I think what, what I think happens is they transact to transact, right? I want the cash flow. I want the wealth. I want the tax benefits. I want all of these things, right? And the reason we will sell buildings, I'm not saying we won't, we have, but we really, really, really think about it because once we sell it, it, it only pays us once. Yep. We try to get paid over and over and over. Like I'll give you a perfect example. Those Airbnbs I just mentioned, they're coming up on 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 year uh, uh, year four of a five year term. So we're going to be looking to refi at the end of next year, especially if rates drop the middle of the year, like I think they will. Yep. We could keep the cash flow right this year. Those three properties spit off a profit of about two ten, so not too bad for three single families, right? But if we do a cash out refi to still hit our internal metrics of a 1.4 DSCR, we can pull out almost 800 grand, even at a rate in the sixes. Yep. That's how we look at it. Yep. So yeah, the cash flow and all that's great, but I want to hold the asset. If I had sold these things, I got paid once. So back to your point about syndication, they have to transact to transact. They've got their team. They've got this, they've got that. They're playing a different game and they fall into the trap of taking something that's supposed to be, wealth creation and they've become transactional and i think they've done it to themselves because they get caught up in the speed and the lifestyle and now a lot of those guys are the ones in trouble and because they bought thin deals that were based on nothing more than a floating rate and cheap money Mm -hmm. they're upside down yep that's a that's an awesome way to explain all that um and i'm I'm, doing a good job but i'm not sure you know (laughs) no that's a really good job dude that's a really good job i was with you um, before I, and, and I want to get in your coaching and obviously yeah. you're, you're, you can explain things really well and break it down really, really well too. I want to get into that, but I want to ask first, how are you finding your deals? Um, obviously you told us a little bit about a couple of them, but you're finding some listed in Kansas, Ohio. How are you? Uh, sounds like with some relationships, but there are people out there with relationships still not getting deals. So how are you finding these great value add deals? Uh, we start with a, with a triage approach and we start with the end of mind, like we talk about. So we start with our buy box. We get crystal clear on that. And then we leverage that buy box in multiple different facets, meetups, repeat business, networking, friends and family brokers. And we hit it over and over and over and over and over. And we say no a lot, but then when it's a yes, we make the transaction smooth, easy, and effortless. And then it becomes repeat business. And I think that's what people don't realize is, we are ready for yes. People wait to get ready for yes. Mm. And I think that's an easy subliminal, you know, subtle change that people can make where if I come to you, John, and you say, Hey, you know, I'm a broker. And we say, Hey, you know, Mike, my buy box is I need to sell. Actually, we talked about, I sent you a deal. You said my self storage is I need, I don't know, a hundred, a hundred plus units. And these MSAs with these kind of, you know, tenant laws, I know self storage is a little different, but this is what I need. You know, this vintage, yada, yada, yada. Okay. If I then bring that to you, don't don't bust my balls. Make it a smooth and effortless transaction. Then when you say you're going to do something, do it. Yep. Because guess what? If we have a good experience, who's the first guy I'm calling next time? Yep. So if I give you my buy box, I better actually be ready to close on my buy box. Yep. But I really think about my buy box. And, you know, that's why I laugh. I mean, these guys get these 800 cell spreadsheets and all this other fancy. <laughs> we underwrite the DSCR. I want to be at a 1.4 when I'm all in back to the dirt and the Delta. Why am I buying it? 
Why am I buying in that location? What is my value add? How do I pull all my money back out plus some to protect my equity? And I got to be at a 1.4 DSCR with a rate that's two points higher than today's rate. That's the entire formula. I don't care about anything else. You know, then it's got to be a landlord friendly state, which is usually a red state. It's got to have a couple economic drivers. You know, there we go. Yep. As simple as that. I mean, you broke it down so simple, right? And and people, I mean, people that want to do deals and get things done, they're going to get it done, right? Um, but just to find your buy box, that's how simple it is. To find 100%. that and hit all your channels. So 100%. Simple. I'll ask people, let's say I get no deal flow. I'll say, okay, how much SEO did you run? How many network events did you go to? How many brokers did you call? How many other investors did you call? How many problems did you try to solve? How much value did you try to create? Yep. Or did you look online on Crexy and CoStar for an hour a week and say, oh, there's no deals? Right. Uh, that. That's what most people are doing. And that's where, you know, again, people don't take intentional action towards building what they want. They'd rather sit back and complain about what they don't have. Yep. 100%. And to me, 100%. that's simple as that. So we'll segue into uh, your coaching. What's your coaching look like? Uh, you've explained things great here. Um, I mean, it almost sounds like an infomercial for your for your coaching. <laughs> a little bit. But, yeah. uh, so, 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 yeah. So, right. So, social media is wild, man. I, I take it's funny. I got a call after this with another free call. My wife's gonna kill me, but I love I love talking about this stuff, right? Yeah. So she finds like, man. You guys are charging this. You're taking too many of these things on. I was burning myself because I, I tried. I just love. I love. You know, bigger pockets was free. I love doing this stuff. Um, but this year we spent seventy thousand dollars in education because we want to hit our goals, right? Yep. So it's all about timing. Like it's funny. Anybody who says coaching doesn't work, what I always tell them is, it's not that coaching doesn't work. It's that you're not ready to be coached. Because when I started real estate investing six years ago, I thought I was a lot smarter than what I now realize. I'm not that smart, right? We're in Vegas. I'm getting a chance to hang out with guys in that room that have built incredible businesses. And I'm like a like a, like a little puppy dog all excited to get in to learn. Michael Ketchin of six years ago, who couldn't have afforded that mastermind, would have wasted the opportunity anyways because I wasn't showing up the right way. Yep. Right? Yep. So when I coach and I teach, you know, I did these two first courses. They were like eight-week things, a couple grand a person. That I think I capped them like at 12 people, whatever. They sold out in three days. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my God. Mm. But then I realized back to that time came thing, I'm like, ah, I don't want to do this. So I had a couple of people kept asking, do you coach, do you coach, do you coach? I said, okay. I said, I'll take on five people, which right now I'm at, you know, I'm at capacity, but shoot me a DM if anything ever opens up, if you're interested. But right now I'm at, I'm at all five. And I structured it in such a way where I was like, all right, you're going to get two one hour phone calls a month, which if you know me by this podcast, you can tell I go over that every time, but you know, I try and we're just going to talk about your business. And I love it. I get a chance to help watch people grow and, 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 and get paid to discuss. But what it does is that little bit of money is enough to keep out the tire kickers and protect me from me. Yep. Right. Because I love this stuff. I love talking about it. I love growing it together. I love doing it and anybody can really do it, but you have to be in the right mindset, you know? And what I continue to be blown away by is how many people are not willing to take control of their life. It's, it's mind blowing. So I found a, a, a theme where people, that I'm coaching are doing something, but they want to be a little bit better. And honestly, they just want me to, you know, pay me to yell at them, I guess, but I don't know. But, you know, we try to, we try to get in the weeds and we try to help them hit their goals. You know, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. And we'll get to, uh, I got one, one, you know, kind of podcast question. Then we'll get to where people can find you. Cause I'm sure people want to reach out. Um, so you actually already kind of spoiled this question. Oh. I'm going to test you to see if you, if you, uh, if you answer it the same way. 
What's one thing that you're better at than everybody else? Man, betting on myself. I just have this unwielding, undying belief in myself. I, I want I want to own it all. I want to own the good. I want to own the bad. I want to own the ugly. I want to own the beautiful. I want it all. And I'm very comfortable being uncomfortable knowing I might not know it, but I believe in me. Yep. And I think that that is a superpower that if people step into that, even though it feels uncomfortable, it also feels empowering. Mm-hmm. And the minute you start living life on your terms, it's not always going to be perfect, but you know, to the victor goes the spoils. And that's kind of what I love about it. I mean, you and I were hanging out in Vegas and, and I'm like, wow, how amazing is this? We're in Vegas in a room full of like-minded absolute rock stars because we all bet on ourselves in some capacity to be here. Anybody could be in that room, but very few will be. And that's the biggest difference. Yep. No, that's awesome. I, you, before you said problem solving, but I'll take yep. uh, believing in yourself. That's a, yeah. I, honestly, that's like, I'm actually working on a presentation that that may, when it boils down to any type of success in any field, it's not just real estate investing, anything, you have to have complete belief in yourself because mm-hmm. you're going to hit hurdles. You're going to hit roadblocks. You can get kicked, but you got to keep going, right? Um, and that, and in order to keep going, you have to have that belief in yourself and belief that you're going to get to where you want to go, right? So 100%. 100%. that's awesome, man. That's awesome, man. Great stuff. This is all. This is an awesome show. This is probably uh, I don't want to um, you know single anybody else out, but this is probably one of my favorite shows. Um, what's us all? Where can people find you? Uh, Michael Ketchin uh, on Instagram, IG. I do everything on there. I'm not smart enough to handle all the socials like you young kids. Um, so I do Michael Ketchin. Uh, you also can check out michaelketchin.com. Um, shoot me an email. Shoot me a text. I love talking this stuff. I love to connect. And uh, thank you again for having me on. I hope I'm back. You know, in a couple of years we're doing this. And you've got, you know, exponential growth. And I've got exponential growth. And truly, I cannot wait to meet up again in Nashville. We did. We just hit it off. I don't know what it was. And I think we're bringing the spouses this time and it's going to be a great couple of days, man. I'm looking forward to it. That's awesome, man. That's awesome, man. We'll appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll see everybody next time. Thanks for following, subscribing, and listening to this episode of the Do More podcast hosted by John Farling. To learn more or ask questions, go to l4investing.com.